0: The reality of how IBC works is if you transfer your tokens to the wrong chain, it basically changes the denomination of that token. It's extremely complicated for users to figure out. So if you find a price differential, you can use the API to quickly execute that arbitrage and not have to figure out all the routing stuff and also not have to pay the gas fees.
1: Scraping Bits is brought to you by the following sponsors. MEV Protocol. Maximize your ETH staking value with MEV ETH exclusively on mev.io and composable execute any intent on any chain coming soon to mantis.app that's m-a-n-t-i-s dot a double everyone my name is tagachi the host of scraping bits and today with magma from skip how's it going good man how are you pretty good apart from the bank holding all my money it's a decent day you know yeah i saw that to Be a highlight, that's why we're in crypto. That's right. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. And for the people that aren't familiar with you, who are you and what do you do? Sure thing. I'm one of the co founders of Skip, skip.money for the website. And
0: we build a ton of infrastructure services across the interchains. so basically like roll up stack on Celestia and then also Cosmos chains. We started as an MEV company and we still do do a lot of cross chain MEV things and build a lot of products there. And we started out building the first. MEV client on top of Tendermint called MevTendermint, which, you know, receives like similar adoption to MevGeth, but in Cosmos. And then since then, we've built the block SDK, which is basically a programmable sequencing layer that allows you to split up your blocks into different lanes, each with their own inclusion and verification rules. And more recently, we've pivoted to building more foundational infrastructure stuff. So we build this skip API, which powers a lot of IBC volume inside of Cosmos. And then we build a on-chain Oracle.
1: Yeah, I know Composable uses IBC as well, if you've heard of them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they're quite interesting doing cross-chain stuff as well. You say the cross-chain stuff in the MEV world, so what did that look like specifically? Were you doing cross-chain strategies or infrastructure?
0: We never participated in the actual strategies ourselves, even though we hired a lot of different MEV searchers. So maybe a spoiler for an upcoming episode, but we hired Falox, who was a sort of famous polygon MEV searcher yeah, yeah, when he... Posted his earnings one month. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, those are good days. Hopefully we get those days again. But yeah, we never participated in that. But what we did see was a lot of cross-chain arbitrage, especially in Cosmos, you have the same assets just IBC'd around to other chains. Mm. And whenever you IBC those assets, since it's like a permissionless on-chain bridging protocol, you've synthetic versions on the destination chain so the prices between those need to stay the same across the different liquidity venues on the different chains and so we saw a lot of people making full-time jobs out of monitoring that and then keeping their funds in different places and then arbitraging them and then of course we saw the standard stuff like cyclical arbitrage and
1: backgrounding and things like that that we wanted to help incentivize very interesting yeah i think even that node you created for cosmos it's very interesting if, it, if you're saying it's similar to geef but for cosmos and that was built from the ground up, right? From scratch. Mm-hmm. What was that kind of process like? Obviously, building a node from scratch is not a simple feat. So were you kind of referencing GIF or were you kind of doing it from literal scratch without reference of anything? I mean, we looked at Mevgath
0: and we noticed a couple things. So it was designed to sort of like have full block building. So basically, you outsource the building of your block to an external party and then you like add in mempool transactions as you see fit. We noticed a couple things that we wanted to change. So the first thing that we wanted to change is we didn't want to do full block building because we didn't want to change the sign rules that nodes had to sign their block headers. So instead, what we did was we set up a system that we built on top of Tendermint to basically have like a fast lane at the very top of the block where right before you propose a block, you essentially request transactions. And then you would put those transactions at the top. And then those transactions were built by some kind of external centralized builder who basically obeyed bundling preferences from their searchers. And so those would be just like inserted at the very top. We actually built it at a four week Terra hackathon or like hacker house. And then two weeks into that, Terra collapsed, which was kind of like a crazy experience just to see literally the entire TFL team was there. And then the next day they were all gone. I don't know where they went, but assumed back to wherever. It was just completely crazy. And then I think post that, we were sort of questioning, where is Cosmos going to go from here? Terra was just this huge star in the sky that just went out suddenly. And that was the beginning of our journey. And that's how we discovered Osmosis and Juno and Evmos and DYDX coming and you know Noble and all these new exciting projects. And so we started to build confidence in Cosmos as a whole. And I think now that confidence seems to be paying off in some way, but... All the things that we imagined would become big issues in terms of cross-chain MEV have just become a lot larger since then. Now you're really seeing cross-chain MEV volume between the larger liquidity chains, Kujira, Osmosis, DYDX, Noble, and it was sort of like what's left. And I think you're going to see more with chain coming online, et cetera.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think Cosmos is quite interesting because every kind of protocol is their quote unquote chain so technically it is all just multi-chain If you're doing mev right between different protocols yeah technically exactly i wonder what would it take to really build a a cosmos mev bot if it's to perform some kind of cross-chain i guess you would say cross-chain arbitrage really what we would imagine in ETH, like avax cross-chain arbitrage or is it just the name of it that's what really it is but maybe it's not cross-chain yeah. So there's two ways that I would build it. So
0: the first one is very standard, right? So you hold some asset and you have basically inventory across two different chains that you expect to sort of have price differentials. And, and then you essentially just execute, you know, via some kind of coordinated system, a buy and a sell uh, to like take advantage of an arbitrage in two different chains, right? right? So price of Osmo is lower on Osmosis than it is on, let's say, Neutron. So you buy on Osmosis, and then you sell on Neutron immediately because you have inventory on both chains. Usually that gets really hard to do because you need a lot of inventory. You also need it spread out over so many venues that the price to execute that strategy profitably becomes really high. I think a better cross-chain arbitrage bot that nobody's built yet, that as far as we understand, that is just ripe for the taking, is a relay backrunning bot or unfortunately a relay sandwiching bot. So basically within IBC, there's two sources of order flow for an IBC chain, right? There's the wallet flow, which is standard for every chain, but then there's also the IBC flow, right? And that IBC flow is coming in from all kinds of different chains in various forms. It could be swap messages. It could be just a transfer of tokens. It could be a smart contract call. And you can, as a relayer, transmit those packets. But since you're the one as the relayer that actually signs and creates the transaction on the destination, you have full access to adding your own messages before, after, or on either side. So you can create a sandwiching bot as long as you're fast or a back bot as long as you're fast.
1: Hmm. That's really interesting like the IBC yeah I was thinking I don't know if I spoke with the composable team about this in the podcast but you know if you have this bridging structure so IBC and it's coming from every single chain and you're getting an influx of that you can really devise your own transactions and order them in different ways because you see the pending transactions coming from this bridge right? It's like a mempool, but for bridges. You could definitely do something interesting there. Is it an intent protocol as well, or is that just composable? I wouldn't call Cosmos an intent protocol. It's unclear
0: what intents really are. It's just a messaging protocol, so you could transmit intent over it, I suppose. But the cool thing with IBC is if you're the relayer, you have access to creating the destination transaction, as I said, so you can add messages and messages are no, no, atomic. No, no. So you can create a riskless sandwiching or back bot. And all you have to do is like be fast and picking up those messages, which is relatively simple to do.
1: Mm, how come you've never built something like this, even just back running, not necessarily sandwiching? Because <laughs> if you say nobody's done it and it's there for the taking, how come you haven't done it? I mean, I guess there's no way to
0: prove that we haven't, right? (laughs) I mean, we haven't, I promise you. I think the main reason we haven't done it is we generally try to be serious about being an MEV infrastructure company versus an MEV participant. And maybe unlike some other MEV companies, we don't have any presence in the mempool ourselves, but we know about all the strategies and we oftentimes recommend them to other parties to start employing. And so that's what I'm doing right
1: now. Interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people would be interested in that. But I think on top of that, also just if like any other EVM chain, people are like really into the cross chain domain of how do I arbitrage this or back run something that's being bridged but when you see something like multi-chain it is very it's not guaranteed you know it's different times of when transactions will pop out sometimes the LP is just not full so you have to wait a little bit or even you know they just go to prison like multi-chain so <laughs> <laughs> um so you know, yeah it is a interesting field nobody's really cracked it yet I think that's just because the infrastructure or maybe there are, people are doing it. it's just not as predominant as you know single chain sovereign mev right but i remember seeing tweets ages ago of uh, saying like mev on cosmos is very interesting because it is this basically mev playground of all these chains instead of just protocols so i wonder have you seen anything interesting that people are doing mev wise on cosmos
0: i mean i've met a couple full-time cross-chain barbers they hold their assets usually in atom and then the ivc to the places where they see the price differentials appearing they're usually extremely competitive with each other. They basically compete on relaying times to get their assets to different places and they also compete on the amount of inventory they can hold. Because obviously if you're on the chain already, then you're going to be faster than somebody who's trying to IPC over. But yeah, I think a lot of the cross-chain stuff gets really tricky in Cosmos and I assume also in you know Ethereum land because you don't have any kind of st- shared state machine, right? So you yeah. can't do anything that looks like an atomic transaction. So if you're doing something like an arbitrage, that becomes really, really risky right because you can have one leg of your arbitrage execute and another side just doesn't go through or like gets a bad price or something and then you're stuck with a trillion pepe and you don't want that right so i think it gets really complicated sometimes when you're trying to do a cross-chain strategy you might get screwed on one leg because somebody's trying to execute a single chain strategy and they're willing mm. to pay more so you get this really interesting combinatorial auction dynamic where i'm willing to pay x for chain a and b but then you're willing to pay you know, Y for just chain A, and then another guy's willing to pay Z for just chain B, right? So how do you reconcile all of those in some kind of auction? It gets really fun. It gets really complicated. And I think only now are we starting to see the volumes where answering that question actually makes economic sense. But until, you know, at least for the past year, it hasn't really made sense to resolve whatever it was, $600,000 of MEV per year. I think we're going to see that change a lot, though and i mean yeah. just recently we've seen this right like the price on binance of tl over the last 3 days has been around 6 bucks the price on osmosis has been 650 dollars $6. $6. 80 like that's a huge arbitrage right and there's a lot of volume in those pools there's a lot of liquidity people were arbitraging it before that we saw the price of osmo on what was it i think it was coinbase go to like 175 and then on Osmosis, it was 45 cents. And that pool has 200 million in liquidity on it. And then I think as soon as people noticed that, like it got wrecked, but that was a massive
1: opportunity. Oh yeah. People don't really look at these alt chains as much because all the hype happens on Ethereum being the one that started it all. It's just kind of the consensus of this will always stick around. And so people don't really look at all the different ones, especially Cosmos. It's a big difference because it's not EVM.
0: Well, there's some EVMs coming to Cosmos, but yeah, for the most part, it's like the Cosmos SDK VM. Yeah,
1: yeah like Solana or what was the other one that was in rust aptos these aren't evm chains and there are tons of opportunities but it's like you've got to learn a niche skill technically because it's not agnostic to the other like let's say you learn solidity it's not the same language so you have to learn a new language basically and a whole new ecosystem and how the nodes work and consensus and all this other shit it's a lot to learn so it's not simple and so there's a lot of opportunity just chilling there
0: totally I think the reality was there were some really good arbitrage teams that were working on Terra when it was in its heyday and they had a lot of knowledge about TenderMint and we know them and they're they're extremely good. They mostly disbanded after Terra collapsed but I think one or two stayed around. They're just cleaning up, right? They're just like completely cleaning up right now. So I'd, I'd love to see them get some competition at some point. So if you know any searcher friends or anybody's listening to this podcast, please do check out Cosmos. There's a lot of opportunity there that's not being taken advantage of. Also, I think think the metrics by which these searchers compete on Cosmos is very different than Ethereum too. As far as I know, as far as I've seen, most of the searchers in Ethereum are competing on gas price, and they're trying to optimize, you know, down to the unit of gas, how much their strategies take. Whereas on Cosmos, that's just not a concern, right? We don't even have a variable gas fee market. We have a fixed gas fee price that's extremely low for most chains, even the most high volume ones. Yeah. And so the competition matrix shifts a lot more to speed and latency, which is just like a different ball game for most people.
1: Yeah, I feel like any chain that's not Ethereum is really just speed and latency, like avax phantom yeah. you know all those bsc that have really short block confirmation times so like normal high frequency trading in that realm plus just crypto whereas like ethereum is you can just create a bundle and you're home free really yeah pretty <laughs> so much risk free basically because you don't really see sandwiches happen on any alt evm chains do you in this there is like some kind of flashbots equivalent but if not kind of hard to find
0: yeah i guess if you look at i think like us and fast lane are probably the two flashbots for other ecosystems that exist fastlane doesn't allow for sandwiches at all they only allow for back running we've done the same historically That wasn't because there was any kind of technical impossibility of doing that. It was actually more so because the chains themselves didn't want there to be sandwiching. So they like wanted us to configure it so that it was only back running that was allowed. I think that's changing now. I think a lot of people are a little bit, for some reason, more open to sandwiching because I don't really know the reason, but people would like that. And of course, you can configure our software to remove those protections because it's open source and people can modify it however they want. But traditionally in Cosmos, we've had a first-come, first-served mempool for as long as you can remember. So there never really was that much sandwiching because it was almost impossible to front-run anything. And so we wanted to keep that very alive and changed it too. So like that's how we built our MEV auction markets. I assume that will change though.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm always wondering, like why didn't you just go down the full MEV route? You had a background in Bridgewater. So surely that would have helped as well. So what's the reasoning behind not going down MEV and going into skip? Because you also did some interesting stuff with the NFT things as well. You know, the first tweet sold that NFT, you guys did that at send.co, right? That's right. Yeah. That was the previous company helped start. (laughs) (laughs) 2.8 million for a tweet. Pretty good meme. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was absurd. Just on a personal note, like at Bridgewater, I was dealing in a very zero sum market that, like, the entire thinking was zero sum. So it was just very much like us versus them, like us trying to get alpha, which inherently means somebody else is getting negative alpha, right? Yeah, like yeah. losing to the market or losing to beta. So I kind of got sick of that, to be honest. I just thought it was kind of intellectually not exciting. And for me, like, getting into MEV, yes, it was very similar in some ways to the HFT stuff that I was doing before. But on the other hand, that's sort of why we've transitioned from that and become more an infrastructure business because we are trying to not be zero sum, right? We want to be positive sum. Our like unofficial slogan is grow the pie, which mm. is kind of a meat. But you know, this is something that we do believe in. Like we do want to push this ecosystem forward. I do believe in crypto. I've been in it forever since I was a kid. And, you know, oh, I'd well. like to see it succeed. And I think MEV is probably a result of it succeeding. And it's not a reason that it will succeed. I think over time we've started to think about the stuff that actually makes the big difference, at least on the infrastructure side. Mm.
1: And what happened to Scent? Did you discontinue that or what happened to that?
0: Yeah. So I was an early co founder of Scent. It used to just be me and this guy, Max Brody, working out of his basement in San Francisco. I was super young at the time. I was like 17 or 18, I think. I was a CTO and I didn't fucking know what I was doing. But all I knew is I was excited about crypto and Ethereum because I'd been mining it. And oh, nice. in the beginning, it was a very different project. Like the reason it was called Scent was because we had this idea for a social media. Site where basically you post content, and then instead of a like, you sort of micro donated a single cent. The idea was like all these people who have their content monetized by larger companies instead could monetize their content in very small ways, and ten thousand likes could add up to ten thousand cents instead, which is somewhat meaningful for some people. And then of course get into the millions or billions. It's obviously very meaningful. So that was the idea. And as I tried to implement that, I think I was working with Stripe at the time, and I was like, this API is just not going to work for us, right? The charges they have on transactions are a minimum of 15 cents. So obviously, it's not going to happen. So the only alternative at the time, and I mean, obviously, it's, this is not true anymore given gas fees, was Ethereum. So I went about and I bought, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand Ethereum for yeah. super cheap, like, I don't know, $20 or $10 or something like that, mm-hmm. just to you know start the marketplace off that's what really got us into crypto. And I I rediscovered those holdings later after I went to college. But after that, I transitioned more and more into a more crypto native audience. And that's sort of where the NFT started to come along and the opportunity sort of presented itself to go into tweets. And I had at that time left and gone to college and resigned from the company, but they sold the Jack Dorsey NFT, I think since then they sort of scaled down the business substantially.
1: Yeah. Now, now that you've done Scent and you've gone into Skip, what do you think have you learned that's been most critical getting further than without? I-
0: yeah, well, I think two things I'd say. I was actually just talking to one of our engineers about this, but I do think startup environments favor a certain kind of person, and I don't think this kind of person is more valuable overall. In fact, probably be really bad at a lot of things, and I'm extremely bad at a lot of things. But I think like one thing that I do have that I've noticed about myself is really strong, just do it like bias towards action attitude, even without thinking about things. This is causes a lot of problems for my girlfriend, but in a startup sense, I think it's been like an. Effect thing where like after Bridgewater, I was like, all right, fuck it. Just quit the job. Start this. We didn't have funding yet. You know, all those different things. And I think like that's benefited us sort of going after opportunities, making hard decisions really quickly in a lot of different ways that my co-founder, Barry, who's way more intelligent than I am, is is very similar. I think the other thing is really just sounds cliche, but hiring very good people. Like at this point, I feel like I have 1% to do with Skip Success. Most of it is the fact that we've kept an extremely high bar for engineering talent and creative talent. And like those people are rock stars. And so my only job now is sort of act as like standard bearer for the culture if I can, and making sure people can work together effectively because like most of the creative effort and most of the output comes from not myself. I'm the guy now that does podcasts. That's why I'm here. I'm no longer actually building the cool stuff that we're known for.
1: Okay, definitely. Interesting. The early days, you guys got to obviously have technical expertise, but as you scale and want to get stuff ramping up, you got to hire. And I I definitely agree with having a high bar. So you want to keep a standard for the environment, who they're around. Because, you know, if you're hiring top tier talent, they want to be around other top tier talent, not really be dragged down by B developers or C developers. You want to just keep a team of A developers. I don't know if you've heard this from Steve Jobs and Apple, but that's literally what they did as well during that time. I
0: think it just makes sense. You have to have a lot of trust at a startup and people who are really high executing and have super high potential need to be around people that are similar so that they can like have the trust to sort of like reach their full potential themselves and give it their all because I know everybody else is too. So yeah, I mean, it definitely takes work to maintain that bar. we have a lot less people than we probably should have because of that, because it's been hard to find those people. But ultimately, I think it makes a huge difference in the terms of your company trajectory.
1: 100%. And you know, when we talk about Skip, what was the early days like? And what is it really doing now? Is it kind of the same vision or did it shift? What's that progress been like, that journey?
0: Yeah. So early days, it was just Barry and I. We couldn't hire anyone. Literally, nobody would work for Skip which was really tough. I think we went three, four months without hiring anyone. We talked to all these different engineers and it was just seemed like it was going to be impossible. So about like three weeks into that, you know, again, to this bias for action, we we're just like, fuck it, we're going to build this thing. I just sat down and I worked for God knows how long, but I sweated to essentially build out the first version of this MEV Tendermint. And then ship it to a bunch of validators. And so Barry and I were essentially doing everything. After that, we made our first couple hires, and from there it sort of snowballed. But I think in terms of like company vision, things have shifted. Away from MEV, which we sort of view as a second order problem and more into what we consider to be first order problems, which are like general infrastructure that sort of like unlock different use cases that exist in the ecosystem. A thesis that we've had that's developed over time is like the Cosmos SDK is basically like a Perps SDK. Mm-hmm. It's actually a surprisingly purpose-built to build an incredibly good, fast purpose protocol in a very decentralized way. And we've seen that happen with DYDX coming over. And now we're seeing what, like the 10 other purpose protocols that are coming over or building from scratch. And so we really wanted to make sure that we were building a tool that would help them. And, and in that case, it was really like an Oracle. You can build an incredibly good Oracle on top of some of the native features of the Cosmos SDK that's on-chain and like run by your own validator set and is extremely performant. And then we also wanted to start basically making the whole IBC experience easier to use for developers. So that's why we built this thing called the Skip API, which is essentially like a multi-chain router that allows you to do like any chain, any token to any chain, any token swaps in one click. And then that's been like employed by a lot of the major front ends and order flow sources inside of Cosmos. So that includes like the Kepler swapping feature. We're working with Osmosis. We're working with like Stride. We're working with, Star-yays. And so I think between the two, they they seem pretty different. They actually play off nicely with each other because they're both foundational tools that chains usually really want. Once they get started, they need a source for onboarding liquidity, which is the API. And then they also oftentimes need some kind of external data to be piped in, which is what they use the Oracle for. And so we've really indexed on these two products.
1: Man. When you talk about the multi-chain router, that's just every chain in the Cosmos ecosystem, right? Like each their own protocol or is this beyond Cosmos as well?
0: It's definitely all of Cosmos or anything that's IBC connected, but then we also have support for bridges now. So you can do one click swaps from any chain, any token on Cosmos into EVM, any chain, any token, and then also vice versa.
1: Is there some kind of generalized way you do this? Because if every chain is different, because they're all different protocols, how do you make them all work in some capacity of being able to route them all? Let's say there's a thousand different chains or protocols, but well, how do you route for all of them?
0: Yeah, it's complicated. So I'll get into one example. Let's say you have USDC on Ethereum and you want to go to Osmo token on the Cosmos hub. The way that you would normally do that without the API is the first thing you would do is you might swap your USDC on Ethereum to ETH native native ETH token. Then you would take Axelar to transfer it over to Axelar. And then you'll end up with Weath. On XLR, and then you'll IBC transfer that axle width to osmosis, swap it for Osmo, and then you'll IBC transfer that Osmo to the hub. All of that is probably, I, I can't remember what I said, but basically six, seven transactions, right?
1: Different chains as well.
0: Yeah, different chains. You And you also have to have gas fees on all those individual chains. You have to have some Ethereum lying around on ETH. You have to have some Axel lying around on Axlar, And you have to have some Osmo lying around on Osmosis. And since you're swapping into Osmo, you might not even have Osmo yet, right? It's a huge pain in the ass. So how do you do it so that you only pay in ETH from... Ethereum, and you do that entire flow in one click. So in a single transaction, I mean. The way that you do that and the way the API does it is they basically, as soon as you do the Axelar GMP bridging, basically what it does is it triggers something called packet forward middleware that exists on Axelar, which will automatically forward your IBC packet to Osmosis. When it hits Osmosis, that packet will trigger something called an IBC hook which will call the smart contract on Osmosis to make the swap. And then that will trigger PFM or packet for middleware again to swap the final version of the Osmo out to the Cosmos hub. So basically it uses a bunch of different middlewares across every different chain to a route where you should go and execute the swaps along the way. But then B also like do all of that in a sort of cascading way where you don't have to recreate new transactions. And when you use packet forward middleware, you don't have to pay the native gas token of the chain you're passing through. So you don't have to hold any Osmo and you don't have to hold any Axelar. All you have to hold is Ethereum. So that's how you get from like USDC on ETH to like uh, Osmo on the hub in a single transaction.
1: Mm. You know, if it's doing swaps in every single chain, right, there's going to be some discrepancy in the pools to some degree. You know, when you think about Uniswap and Sushiswap, the two different pools for the same asset class. So if you're swapping between these pools, there must be another protocol as well that you can do an arbitrage so I wonder if there is a uh, the six chain arbitrage for these pairs. Totally. The skip API is a tool that is heavily
0: employed by arbitragers because nobody wants to figure out how to route tokens from Ethereum to some random chain on Cosmos or vice versa. It's just all very complicated. And the reality of how IBC works is if you transfer your tokens to the wrong chain, it basically changes the denomination of that token. If I have Adam on the hub and then I transfer it to Osmosis versus if I have Adam on the hub, and I transfer it to Juno, those are two separate versions of Atom. Every time you transfer, it's path dependent. So basically you have to oftentimes unwind your transfers back to the source chain so that you can actually send it to the place you want to go in the right denomination. So basically it's extremely complicated for users to figure out. So, you know, if you find a price differential, let's say between wrap-staked ETH on Neutron and wrap-staked ETH on Ethereum, you can use the API to quickly execute that arbitrage and not have to figure out all the routing stuff and also not have to pay the gas fees. So yeah, yeah. there's definitely like an opportunity for that. All of this stuff still goes over relayers. So my point before about creating like a relay or MEV bot still applies yeah, yeah. to this, but uh, I
1: just haven't seen anybody do it yet. How would someone make that relayer? An EV bot, would they have to actually create a relayer or just the bot itself to kind of scan the relayers? Yeah, it'd,
0: it'd be super simple. I think somebody could do it in a day. So basically what you would do is you would fork either the Hermes or the IBC Go relayer. One's written in Rust, one's written in Go. These are like standard off-the-shelf relayers that are employed in production by most relayer teams. And then all you need to do is basically, so the relayer will automatically scan for what they call packets on a source chain. And like detect if there's any packets that need to be IVC transferred over to a destination. But then once you see those packets, you just have to be really fast in transmitting it to the destination chain. And then you have to modify the transaction you create to relay that packet to essentially include additional messages that you can add so that you can do whatever strategy you want, right? Maybe it's a sandwich, maybe it's a back run, And since relayers deal with packets that are fully transparent, you can see what's in that packet. You can see if what you're transmitting is like a swap, right? And so you just can execute your standard sandwiching or back running bot, just considering that information to construct like the new messages. And then you wrap those new messages into one transaction, it's going to be atomic on the destination chain.
1: I think it would be very simple. Yeah, definitely. I wonder, do you think anybody's doing any non-atomic strategies or have you seen any unique strategies on Cosmos, kind of like war stories from exploring the chain. I've seen unique strategies. I don't think I've seen anything too
0: crazy except for just like the massively higher amount of cross-chain arbitrage, which I don't think exists on Ethereum as much, just given sort of like the nature and the layout of liquidity inside of Cosmos. Yeah, I haven't seen anything too crazy, to be honest. I think Probably the most interesting MEV thing, and it's not to toot on horn, but I do think it's kind of cool, is there was a ton of like cyclical arbitrage on osmosis. I think there was like six to $10 million worth over the past year. Ooh. Most of that came from the Terra collapse when assets were extremely volatile. But basically, like cyclical arbitrage is, you know, once you make a swap on one pool, there might be a route to take your tokens around a bunch of different other pools that haven't balanced out yet. So that you can end yeah. up with more of the asset that you started with, right? So like a, a big swap on a low liquidity pool will oftentimes trigger these. So mm-hmm. we saw people minting, doing this strategy, and they were just spamming the mempool. So we built this thing called Protoref, which is embedded and enshrined inside the co- inside the osmosis chain, which essentially is an on-chain back, cyclical backrunner. So ev- after every single swap, as part of the execution of that swap, it will essentially simulate a bunch of different routes and figure out if there's a, a cyclical backrun that it can take to essentially like make profit off of the trade that was just about to be executed. And then it will beat out any backrunners that are like external that are trying to submit those transactions themselves. It will just completely obliterate them. There's no way to defeat it. And the cool thing about it too is that it uses flash mint liquidity. So basically because it's in protocol, it can just mint whatever token it wants, like USDC, Atom, Osmo, ETH, Coin, and then it can bur- it has to burn that minted liquidity at the end of it. But since it uses it for the arbitrage, it becomes a zero cost of capital strategy. And it's made Osmosis like 550 grand so far in dollar terms. So that that's like a pretty cool thing that I think happened. Flash
1: Cosmos. minting. It seems pretty interesting. Flash
0: minting. Yeah. It's like a flash loan, except it's native yeah, to the yeah. protocol.
1: I wonder, wonder, wonder if that can be done on Ethereum, like with all these bridges and their synthetic assets. I feel like it could be a thing, right? I mean, the ETH protocol itself can mint whatever the fuck it wants, right? It could mint a billion
0: ETH at one time if it wanted to. So it's kind of like, what if you built, what if an MEV searcher could build their bot into Gap itself, and then use Ethereum, the state engine, to like actually mint it liquidity to execute these arbitrage bots, right? That would be the equivalent, which would just be like an incredible strategy. Obviously, it's never going to happen.
1: it's <laughs> <Yeah. but yeah. laughs> mint infinite ETH for one blow. Let's pay up, bribe but Pretty cool, though. I, I think there's something there. I guess the equivalent would be like a flash loan.
0: Yeah, but flash loans, you have to borrow that money.
1: And that's money that
0: belongs to somebody else. So you have to pay a fee on it. In the case of flash minting, there's no fee, right? Because it doesn't cost anything to mint this, right? You're just literally minting it for a second, and then you're burning it all. It's not coming out of anybody's pocket. There's no capital utilization at all.
1: I guess that, that is the only like closest thing, though, that could happen unless you do like a flash swap like let's say flash swap with like eth but then yeah uh, yeah that might happen but again it's just someone else's money i don't think there's anything else that you could really do man i really want to see some cool strategies i know there's like some counter mev stuff on ethereum where you can kind of like create mm-hmm. contracts to mev mev bots you know i was writing an yeah, article like the Salmonella on this contract yeah yeah i was writing an article on this on this stuff because it is quite interesting but like salmonella-esque you know, contracts. We basically abuse the algorithms of MEV bots. And it is quite interesting because, you know, when you think of generalized frontrunners, there is a, if they fuck it up some way, if they don't have a specific heuristic, you could really take over or bait them if you have capital. I think there is quite a lot of opportunity there that nobody even thinks of. It's like really out of the box thinking. Um, yeah. Not sure if people do that on Cosmos, though. Um, just sounds I
0: haven't like- seen many generalized. I mean, you can't build a generalized front runner just because we have FIFO mempools. But I, I don't know if I've seen generalized backrunners. I guess like, that doesn't really make sense as
1: a concept, right? Because like, your goal is to get in front of somebody, not behind somebody when you make something generalized. Oh, well, you know, generalized backrunning kind of makes... You could definitely try it. I think it'll be harder because front running is actually incredibly easy. Like generalized front running, you just kind of scan. Do they make profit? Can I replace my address? Do I make profit? Do they have any starting yeah. capital? All right, let's fund that how we fund it, or flash loan, or whatever else, and um, create the yeah. route, et cetera. But back running is quite interesting, I think way harder. Maybe not as profitable, but definitely still something that's worth doing. How would you do that? You know, you have a transaction, let's say, or I guess you would scan if it's an address, like if it's swapping from one token to another. If it is, scan for every other relating contract. And you would set up like a mapping in some way to do this. But if it's like a, say, specific protocol, then know can i do anything to kind of capitalize on it like if that protocol has its own exchange right internally um i guess you would st- yeah you would check like storage slots etc accessed that'd be interesting I've, i don't think i've ever seen that or even maybe it does exist we're just unaware but it is an interesting concept i think it's
0: easier on like a protocol like osmosis to do something like that just because like osmosis is a chain that is a dex right like that's what their state is is just like swap. So you know mm-hmm. that like the the potential back running uh, strategies are basically just like, how do you do cyclical arbitrage after a swap? So there's like a very small, I guess, like exploration space for your generalized backrunner to explore in terms
1: of how you can make money. Yeah. Like state space. Or, mm-hmm. or
0: state space or just like opportunity space, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. that the only thing that you can do is like cyclical background. Yeah. Just cyclical
1: arbitrage. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Oh, man. Makes me want to get back to MEV.
0: You should come to Cosmos. <laughs> come Try to Cosmos.
1: You know, Cosmos does sound interesting, but I don't want to learn a whole new thing, especially when I hear you. trying to learn like AI. It's just there's only so much you can really do. That's true. You, you got to focus in, in some ways. But, and what, what are your thoughts on, on AI and, and crypto in general? Maybe not specifically MEV, but yeah, just thoughts in, in the cross intersection of those two.
0: Um, Honestly, I don't really think about it. I sort of like never got on the AI train for better or for worse. Probably for worse. Like, co-founder Barry was was huge into it. Uh, he did some groundbreaking research while he was in college. With and I knew him in college. He actually won like best paper award. I forget at what conference, but it was something large. It's actually how we met our first investor for Skip. And I think Tarun about like sixth or something like that at that conference. He was big into it. I think he was focused not so much on like Transformer, LLM stuff, but something else. I think more like reinforcement learning. He was like optimizing like eBay auctions or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the AI and crypto stuff that we've seen, like, I mean, I'm tempted to think a lot of it's just kind of like narrative pumping or like narrative chasing for like investment dollars. But, you know, I haven't really seen anything that's like extremely interesting. Except maybe perhaps outside, or like not including like these uh, distribution engines for GPU compute. So like I think Akash is kind of interesting. I think there's a couple like Kudos, uh, and then there's a couple others. I think mostly that's interesting to be because I used to be an Ethereum miner. I think I had I don't know like a yeah. 90s Nvidia thirty nineties that are now just like sitting in a closet somewhere. That was like a lot of expensive hardware at the time, and like I imagine that happened to thousands of other people. And mm. say, where do you put that next, right? That's extremely viable compute. So my thinking was, well, if like crypto can somehow adapt the same systems that they put all these GPUs on to sort of like mine Ethereum, like Hive OS or whatever, and they can just like funnel that into like AI training, then like that would be a great way of just like activating a bunch of these latent resources that crypto miners had, which feels like something that's potentially valuable or like a good ARB in the market. But that's the main stuff that I've looked at so far. I assume you have many more thoughts on that.
1: And I think reinforcement learning is the way forward. I think that's the true way you can really. Well, if you think about, I guess, generalized artificial intelligence. I think you know we out the way we learn is from reinforcement learning and remembering from contexts and stuff like that. It makes sense to do reinforcement learning, but it's not as as uh, big as the other two, you know, unsupervised and supervised. Which makes sense, you know, if you have data, right, and you have to label it and kind of find what, yeah, the labeling labeling is the biggest flaw. So reinforcement learning kind of does it, finds it all for you. And, you know, blockchain is just all infinite data, you know. It's, well, not infinite, but it's all there. You're not starting from scratch. So you are at advantage. And I think there is a lot of opportunity for AI intersection in blockchain. And I think it is a pretty easy gateway into all realms of programming. Like, you know, HFT is not easy to get into, but you can do it in, in crypto or just making a shitty MEV bot. Yeah, exactly. That's literally what I did. Yeah. Startups are super easy as well because, well, capital was really easy to get. <laughs> you can create like a contract to fundraise. Like my first project, we fundraised. It was like half a million just creating a contract and a website and that was it yeah that's that's pretty unheard of you know i guess you you got to do like a yeah. kickstarter or something but then you have to get people to like you know believe in you and if you have no reputation well good luck um whereas crypto is just like d gens will throw money at you for anything yeah <laughs> but then you have everything like yeah it's that. it's every it's literally every field like well in finance at least like infrastructure quant business ai zk it's all the stuff. It's a really terrific field, actually. And also, you know, finances and you able to manage teams. It kind of all comes to marketing and all that stuff as well. So it's a, it's a great gateway and relatively simple compared to traditional ways. So, but yeah, in, in terms of AI, I think there's a lot of work to be done for detection. I know BlockSec just released there. Um, AI detection tool recently. I'm not sure if it's AI, but I, I think it is. They save like 14 mil in six months, which isn't crazy. Wow. You know, prevented six, 14 mil in hacks. Lucas from Pentestify. doing some pretty interesting stuff, like exploit generation, both AI, to capture the search space, etc. <laughs> and I think you could apply that to MEV and block building. Yeah, I was going to say, when are we going to have like AI-powered MEV bots? 100%. I think... But it is difficult because you have to have multiple domains of knowledge. You, know, you have to be able to create your own models. You can't really just chat GPT it or like do a wrapper around chat GPT and call that a, you know, a cutting edge technology. I think you need to specialize in anything. it be specialized AI, it really takes over all fields in humanity if you can cater it to your specific problem specialize it then yeah it's definitely an edge over someone doing heuristics
0: yeah i guess if you like had if you trained a ai algorithm on like the most profitable mev accounts and like looked at their bytecode and like tried to read through what their contracts were doing and just replicated that thousands and thousands of times and just traded on all like the block data on ethereum going back to genesis and every other chain like, I feel like you could probably come up with something that was like pretty amazing. Right. Or you could train it to like build what you were saying before, which is Salmonella type system, which just like is built to like find these contracts and then like essentially
1: like deploy counter contracts to try to like, you know, drain them out. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things to be to kind of mess around with. But again, it's like the prerequisites to do it. It's just so difficult. because so you've got to be good at AI, or at least decent, of being able to create models in like that whole field of training yourself, etc. Then you also have to have the knowledge of crypto and you know MEV, which is very niche. You know, I guess cyber as well, reverse engineering, to be able to debug, make sure it's learning correctly yeah, cool. and shit. Well, it's not an easy task, but if you do... Not at all. If you are able to combine them all, it's a... You're in a really good spot because who else is doing it, you know? If you if you're already doing one niche, combine it with another niche, and you have a new type of niche where there's little to no competition. So it is a good bet, I think, long term.
0: Well, dagachi you. you have cyber and you have AI and we got the MEVs, why don't we just team up after this call?
1: You could definitely well, I'm not like a great at AI yet, I'm still learning. But I think definitely in the near future of like twenty twenty four is gonna be a great year. And it'll be really interesting to see in the in the halving as well. I think they're going to be a bull market 2024. I think it's going to be a, a crazy time next year. But obviously, build on the bear and be prepared, you know? Exactly. And that's how you really capitalize on it all. That's where legends are made. I mean, if we have a bull in 2024, this would have been a tiny
0: bear market. It was shitty for alts especially. It would be very short, right? I was expecting
1: at least another two years. Yeah, I I feel like if it is another two years, then, man, we're going to be so well prepared for it. It's going to be pretty funny. But, you know, the halving is coming up, so that's always a good time after the halving. You know, people prepare for it, and then after it gets a bit bullish, historically, I think. Some, Some investment Um, was telling me about that like around six months after a halving is when it kind of picks up so looking forward to that really i mean it's going to be combined with the
0: fact that i think a lot of this current
1: speculation is
0: driven by this expectation that like the bitcoin etf will lead to just constant purchasing of of bitcoin and that that will filter down to everything else as well sort of like unclear if that's going to be the case uh, but i do think it's driving a lot of
1: excitement right now oh yeah i mean like the way I make decisions is, you know, regret the things you did do instead of the things you didn't do. Yeah, it's always been a good decision making philosophy, <laughs> just like gut feelings. And I mean, at least you trust your gut and given enough chances, it'll eventually work. Well, you'd hope. Your chances are good. But man, I think this has been a very informational, eye opening chat. Magma, I've been thoroughly enjoying it and I appreciate your time coming on. And I, I hope to see everything come into fruition quite soon. Same here. I will say anybody listening to this podcast, you know, if you want to get deeper
0: into Cosmos MEV and see what's going on, it's quite interesting. I don't think it'll be a waste of time. So definitely reach out if you're interested.
1: Perfect. Well, there you go. Any aspiring MEV get a chance? Want to make some money or lose some money? Good up, Meg. But man, thank you so much for jumping on. Really appreciate your time and we'll definitely have you on again in the future. 100%. Cool. Thanks for See ya.